So as the ushers uh, continue and finish up collecting this morning's offering, we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump right in. And um, okay, I'm going to give you a heads up, and um, we're going to be okay. I'm going to tell you up front, we're going to be all right, except for my parents. Okay, so uh, we are in the middle, officially smack dab in the middle of our series on respectable sins. This is kind of our Lenten series. Uh, We are pursuing personal revival, right? That's what we've been about all year long. Uh, It's our word of the year. We're pursuing revival, and we know there's things we have to do to pursue revival. We read our Bible every single day. We show up to church consistently. We get plugged into small groups, to accountability groups, to groups of like-minded people that will tell us the truth and that will love us and will hurt us if they have to, all of those things. And then this last step that we've talked about, okay, has to do directly with this series. We find and we ruthlessly cut sin out of our lives. I'm going to say this. I've said it before. You're probably sick of hearing it, but hear me. Okay, we'll, we'll drill down on this. You will not grow. You will not grow unless you work to cut sin out of your life. Think about it. We are parents. A lot of us are parents. We just dedicated children. Okay, we know what it's like to have our kids know better and then do whatever they feel like anyway. Listen, as Christians, we're called to better than that. We will not grow unless we ruthlessly cut sin out of our life. And that's what this series is about. And here's the bad news for us today. Today we deal with sexual sins. For some of you here today, you're thinking, okay, this has nothing to do with me. I'm going to ask you to track with me because here's the deal. I bet you it does. But even if it doesn't, there's still things you can learn. And for some of you here today, you are going to know deep down in your heart that I am talking to you. I'm not. That's the Holy Spirit. And you are going to be angry with me. I'm going to predict this now. I'm going to tell you this now. You are going to want to get up and leave. Your issue is not with me. And I am not speaking to you. I don't have your picture in my brain. If this hurts you, that's between you and God. Someone just reminded me of a verse or shared a verse that was on their heart that God was prompting them with, and it was simply this. It was like, look, look. You know what? We need to be humble like children if we want to receive what God has for us. If we want to be first in the kingdom, if we want to receive everything that God has for us in his kingdom, we need to have humble hearts like children. That means we stop arguing with God. And so here's the cool thing about this, though, too. Let me just pause that whole like, oh, you're going to be mad at me. So my mom calls me yesterday. She's like, hey, what are you doing tonight? Dad and I were thinking about coming and spending the night and going to church with you in the morning. We've talked about sex. Uh, I mean, we talk about sex enough in here. It's a big deal in our world, right? And so the church has to talk about sex. If the church isn't talking about it, then the only people talking about it are people we don't want teaching us, okay? But, but we've had specifically in my three-year tenure here, we've had three specific Sundays that have been all about sex. This will be them randomly showing up the second time 
So I'm not sure what God's trying to do there, what you guys need to hear, but that is what it is. So you can take a look over here at my folks and see how red they get as we go. Well, let's, let's start with this. Sex is an issue in the world we live in. We live in an over-sexed culture. If the world is to be believed, everything we do and everything we're about, and the, the, the key to true happiness, everything is about sex. And so the church has to have something to say about this. We do. The problem is this, and so there's, there's part of this, the reason why this is going to feel weird, I want to I go ahead and acknowledge the church's issue up front. We have done this traditionally poorly. Historically, the church has not handled this well, okay? And so we need to handle it well. We need to talk about what there is to talk about, and we have to figure out what's prudent and what's prudish for the church. See, this is my problem with legalistic churches, with churches that are all about rules and, and, and you know, religion and, and these things, is we draw lines in the sand that were never really meant to be drawn. Why We draw lines about dress, we draw lines about music, we draw lines about the right ways to pray or the right ways to do this thing, we draw lines about a bunch of things that are do's and don'ts, and we draw these arbitrary lines that were never meant to be drawn. And then when we have to draw a big important line... How do we know, right? How do we know if that's any different than those other arbitrary lines that we drew? Especially in a world that has been pounding one message over and over and over again about sex. And so we have to get to the bottom of this. We have to draw correct lines. We have to, we have to be about what's most important. And today we talk about sexual morality. The way to be sexually pure in a sexually impure world. Teenagers, I need you to listen today. I mean, I need everybody to listen today, but teenagers, listen. Before you get to the point where you make mistakes that I made, before you get to the point where you made mistakes that a lot of us are currently making, listen well to what God has to say about this. And the Bible has a lot to say about sexual morality and sexual purity. And here we see it starts in Genesis. Let's look at this. So this is the story of creation. This is God creating. This is where we always start when we talk about sex. We have to start here when we talk about sex because this is, I know, like my wife sitting there going, do you have to say that word over and over and over again? <laughs> Today I do. This is where we always have to start because this is where God ordains it. And this is the context in which God ordains it. And it is all about this. See, I'm going to tell you this now, and you know this, but I have to remind you of this. Sex is not dirty. Sex is not bad in the context of God's good creation, in the context of God's perfect plan. Because here is God's plan. At last, the man exclaimed, this is, this is when he found no suitable helper. God, one by one, he paraded all of the animals in front of him. He had to name them all, all the while trying to find a helper for himself, a helpmate. And he knows, none of these do it for me. None of these are good or right for me. God is, I think this is intentional, and I bet it's agonizing for Adam. God has already said it's not good for man to be alone. We're going to get him a helpmate. We're going to get him somebody that will be his partner. And then, is it the aardvark? No, it's not the aardvark. 
right? Is it the armadillo? I don't know what other AR word would be next. I was trying to go alphabetical there, but it turns out I'm not that bright. But here's, nope, it's none of them. And when there's nobody, God causes Adam to go into a sleep, and he takes the rib, and he creates the woman. And sometimes we think, oh, this is very mystical. No, 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 this is a real thing. And what happens here is, is then that God brings the woman in front of Adam, and he says, at last, this one, not the aardvark, not the armadillo, but this one is bone of my bone, flesh, my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains, this is God now. That was Adam talking. This is God now talking. That explains that passion, that oneness, that connection. That explains why sex happens. That explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined sexually with his wife. And the two become one flesh and it's good and it's right and it's pure and it's what God intended. And get this, they were naked and they felt no shame. That's it. You say, what's the theology of sex in the Bible? Where does the Bible even talk about what's right and what's wrong with sex? Well, we'll get to some things where we talk about right and wrong with sex, but understand in Genesis 2, in the story of creation, we see the point of sex, and here's what it is. One man, one woman, one covenant, one lifetime, enjoying sexual intimacy as one flesh, naked and unashamed. Now, I want to I pause here for a second, and I want to acknowledge that there are many of you here like me who have long since messed this up. God is not angry at you for messing this up. God isn't mad at you. God isn't keeping score against you. When you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Now, God expects you to grow and be different. We'll talk about that. But God isn't mad at you for your past mistake. Okay? So get that. Understand that as we go. God's not angry at you because you messed up. Okay? That's the whole point of the cross is that God knew we were going to mess up. We, we come back to that every week. The whole point of the cross is that God knew that we were going to need a Savior. And this is it. Okay? But that's perfect. So they're naked and they're unashamed. And then something tragic happens. Sin enters the world. This is the perfection. Sin comes in the world and everything gets jacked up. And sometime when you're bored, read through Genesis and just start making a list of all of the sexual sin that happens. Because sin enters the world. And all of a sudden, the things that we do when we're naked, all of a the sudden, they become shameful, shameful things. See, that's not just a random statement that God says, oh, they were comfortable with each other. No, they were naked. They were unashamed. And then sin happens. And now the things that happen when we're naked are shameful. Rape, incest, homosexuality, fornication, which is sex outside of marriage. All of these things that happen Okay, over and over again, orgies, drunkenness, all of it lumps together. And now all of a sudden, nakedness and shame are linked. And that's sin. It's sin in the world. Okay? And it's problematic, 
and it runs rampant all through Scripture, and in our culture, it's become even worse. Many of you were not alive for this, but many of you were for something called the sexual revolution in the 60s and the 70s, undergirded a lot by scientific, we're going to give you a little history lesson now, undergirded a great deal by scientific research by Alfred Kinsey. Uh, many of you maybe saw the movie, the, the Kinsey Experiment. Not a great movie, okay? Not a stable guy. Um, and since then, all the research has been debunked. But, but Kinsey's, Kinsey's whole point was that because sexual sin, because deviant behavior is more common than people thought, that it was actually normal and okay. So because all of those things that people were ashamed of were actually fairly common, that it was normal and okay. And that's, again, the research has, has, has been uh, debunked. It, it, it wasn't good research. Um, you, can, you can read about that on your own time, but, but so here's the deal. So out of that, though, came the Kinsey Institute. What you need to know about the Kinsey Institute is the Kinsey Institute was the author of the very first public sex ed curriculum for public school children, still used to this day in some places. And the... the <laughs> See, I need you to know this because you need to know what's happened in our culture. If, if you're my age or younger, you need to know what's been done to you, and you need to know how to fight it. This is just plain and simple. You need to know what's been done to you. Uh, the, the founder of the Kinsey Institute, the, the director of that when the, the public sex education curriculum was written and pushed out, was someone named Dr. Mary Calderon. This is something she said while advocating for this. Let's, let's just walk through this again because it's tragically um, obvious what's happened as we read it. Here's what she says. A new stage of evolution is breaking across the horizon, and the task of educators is to prepare children to step into the new world. Now get this part. This is the part that should make you angry. To do this, they must pry children away from old views and values. That's my parenthetical statement there. Insert parents and children's old views and values. They got to pry them away from old views and values especially, get this, this is her statement, especially from biblical and other traditional forms of sexual morality because, you're going to love this one, religious laws and rules about sex were made on the basis of ignorance. She continues. We're going to prepare children to be more sexual. To do that, we must separate. Oh, get this. This is what's been done to me. This is what's been done to you. This is what they're doing to our children if we don't raise them up to follow the Lord like we promised to do. To do that, we must separate them from their church and family, and we must introduce sex education into the public school system. And that is a movement was adopted in our country. You know who the first donor? You're going to love this. The first donor to public sex education, Hugh Hefner. But we bought it. We are the result of a tragic social experiment that took abnormal, deviant behavior that God says no to, normalized it, and told us that it was right and okay. And we have been following along every step of the way. 
The church is seen as old-fashioned and outdated and prudish. That's why whenever we talk about sexual purity, people look at us like we're so old-fashioned. Because why? Because what does it say? That, that our religious laws and rules about sex are on the basis of ignorance is what we've been taught as a culture. That's, listen, kids, when you talk about chastity, I know, haha, chastity, abstinence, whatever. When you talk about sexual purity, listen, I'm not suggesting it's ever going to be easy for you. I'm not suggesting that people will understand because they think you're prudish and ignorant. That's what they've been discipled to think. But God is clear. God is clear. So, okay, at this point in time, guys, the frog is dead. So I was talking about somebody this a couple of weeks ago, and then, and then a friend of mine sent me a note about this, and, and then you know, we were having this conversation. But you know how you boil a frog alive, right? Right? If you have a pot of boiling water and you throw the frog in, the frog will jump out. Now, why you want to boil frogs in the first place, I have no idea. It's weird, it's sick, and you should be looked at. <laughs> but if that's what you do and you have a pot of boiling water and you throw the frog in, the frog will hop out. That's just all there is to it. But if you put a frog in a room temperature pan of water, the frog will sit. And then you know what you do? You slowly turn up the heat. And the frog will never notice. And eventually, the frog will boil alive. All the while able to jump out of the pot but it never noticed what was happening to its environment. That's what's happened to us. And so we gotta wrestle with this. We gotta, we gotta get back to a biblical center, okay? One man, one woman, one lifetime, one covenant. Naked and unashamed. Let's look at what God has to say. This is Paul writing in, in, in the book of Thessalonians, writing to the church in Thessalonica. These are God's words, but here's what he says. He says, for you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. This is going to be about sexual purity, and, and I want you to notice what happens there, step number one. You remember what we taught you, not because we're so smart, not because we figured out a new way to interpret the way sex has always been viewed by the church, not because we we decided that we wanted to be more popular with people and decide that some things that have always been wrong are now okay, right? Not because we're going to come up with this new fancy way to view scripture, but you remember what we taught you by the authority of Jesus Christ. So you got to understand here that, that when Paul starts writing this, what he's writing about is, is this beginning stage uh, uh, he's he's going he's gonna to offer correction, and it's going to be harsh, and some people are going to be hurt. Some people are going to feel like some of you are going to want to stand up and walk out of the church because you're mad that somebody dare talk about your choices as sin. But that's the way it is. And he says, you remember that I'm not the one telling you this. It's coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one. He's the one with authority. He's the one you're mad at. It's not me. This is where it comes from. He says, God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. The word there for sexual sin, depending on the version you have, it might be sexual morality. It might be written a couple of different ways. That word is porneia. Uh, Mark Driscoll used this, this, this term, so I didn't, I didn't come up with this, but, but he did, and I, I think it describes it perfectly. It's a, drunk, a junk drawer word. How many of you have a junk drawer in your house? 
And in your junk drawer, you throw everything. Screwdrivers, checkbooks, Scentsy candles, nails, batteries, uh, coupons to Pizza Ranch. <laughs> I think there's a hammer. Candle. There's, there's a bunch of stuff in our junk drawer. Well, that's what the word porneia is. It's a junk drawer word. Okay? A junk drawer word that encompasses everything in the arena of sexual impurity. Guess what? Everything in the arena of sexual impurity... Okay, you got to stop thinking about, see, I say sexual sin, and some of you came today, oh, we're talking about homosexuality today. No, we're not. Is that part of it? Sure. Oh, we're talking about living together before we're married. Is that part of it? Sure. Ah, we're talking about extramarital affairs. Yeah, it's part of it. You know what? Pornography, it's all part of it. It's all part of it. This is a, 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 a junk drawer term. So he says, stay away from sexual morality. And so we continue. He says, God's will for you is to be holy, so stay away from all of that. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion, like the pagans who don't know God and his ways. And there is something there that we have to understand. The problem with your sexual sin is lust. It's lust. That's what it is. That's where it comes from. It's lust in your heart. It's, again, it's, it's the bastardization of something that God intended for good and purity, and joy, and awesomeness. And it's, it, because of sin, it's been turned into something tragically awful. And that's what happens. That's the lust of the heart. But Paul says, no, 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 not you, Christian, with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, who should know better, not you. Each of you, control your body. Live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who don't know God and his ways. You know what's great about that? Is, is there's something that we have to get a good grip on here as a church. We actually expect sometimes more from people outside the church than we expect from those in. We expect more from people outside the church than we expect from people in. Somebody explain to me why that is. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We get mad at people from outside of the church for acting in sexually immoral ways. Well, of course they do because they don't have the Holy Spirit telling them to act differently. But, but when someone in the church looks and claims to be a Christian, we are obligated to hold them accountable and confront them with the Word of God. And bring them to repentance. And some of you in your head are thinking, whoa, time out. We're not supposed to judge. Read 1 Corinthians 5. You're not to judge those outside of the church. But as the church, we are to judge those in Christ who live in unrepentant sin. And there's two ways that this sin works, this sexually immoral sin, this, this um, junk drawer sin with sex. There's, there's two ways this happens to us. One is it sneaks up on us and it bites us and, oh, we got caught. We got to be better than that. 
We got to learn. We got to read. We got to pray. We got to grow ourselves up. We got to surround ourselves with like minded Christians. We got to work hard to cut that sin out of our lives. And, it, and we work at that. But you know what's even more tragic than that? Not the sin that bites you. That I know and I'm fighting against it and I stumbled and I feel dirty because I stumbled and I go to the cross and I get forgiveness and I keep trying. I keep pushing ahead. I keep growing. I keep leaning in. That's what we're supposed to do. The problem is that a lot of us, though, what we say is, I'm doing it on purpose because I want to, because it feels better, because I hate the alternative, because my options are limited, because this is what I want. And I'm going to confess something to you here. As your pastor, there are some of you that I have failed because I have been far too tolerant, far too lenient. And people that say, I am a Christian, I am a member of Blessed Hope Church, and I live for God. I stood up here and I made a covenant commitment to become a member of the church that said, I am going to put God first and I'm going to put myself under the authority of the elders. And the elders have then known about your sin and we've tolerated your sin because we love you and we don't want to hurt you. That's my confession to you. And it's problematic. But we have to confront. We have to confront because of what this said. Oh my goodness, there it is. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sin. Um, here, as we have solemnly warned you before, get this, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. And as a pastor and elders in the church, if God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives, then that's our responsibility and leadership. And it continues, therefore, oh, this stings. Anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. And just because you have the Holy Spirit as a Christian, as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You don't need a second coming of the Holy Spirit. I am firmly convinced you don't need another baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you need to grow up in the Holy Spirit. And if you ignore the Holy Spirit, then you can't pretend to be growing as a Christian. It doesn't work. It won't work. You can't have it both ways. God says clearly here, you're rejecting him. You're profaning the cross when you say, God, I know you died to save me from my sins, but let me keep sinning because I like it, because it's easier, because it feels good, because it's visually stimulating, because it's emotionally compelling. It's not what we're called to. And it, this is, listen, in case you think I'm talking about you, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about us as a church and as a culture. This is an epidemic. More money is spent on porn in our day and age than all types of music combined. Pick your favorite kind of music. If you say country, I love you anyway. <laughs> Pick a kind of music, CDs, music downloads, concerts that people go to. 
More money is spent on pornography every year than on all of those types of music combined. More money is spent on pornography than baseball, basketball, and football combined. That includes the Super Bowl, World Series. More money is spent on pornography than in those combined. Sex, the number one searched word on the internet. And in case that wasn't enough, not just is it the number one word, but they get four out of the top 20. Erotic stories, porn, nude, daily more visits to porn sites than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. This is an epidemic. This is a problem. It's not simple. See, part of, part of what we have to realize here, though, is that, is that we are fighting what appears to be a losing battle. And we're fighting what appears to be a losing battle because we've been discipled in sexual immorality. We've been discipled. And so in our minds, even though we know what the Bible says, we wrestle with this in a couple ways. We wrestle with it, we say tolerance. We just need to be tolerant of people that think differently than we do. Except you know what that quickly turns into? We're really, really tolerant with ourselves and our sin. We're tolerant, right? It's like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't really affect anybody else. It's not like I'm having an affair. I'm just fantasizing about one, right? It's not like I'm watching porn. This is just regular TV sex. So we start to tolerate, and then we get into this self-deception, the self-deception where we convince ourselves that we know better than everybody else in the history of biblical interpretation. We come up with brand new ways to interpret the Bible. Well, this is okay. We got whole denominations that have, that have started to reinterpret the way we do this because we deceive ourselves, because it's easier, because it makes people like us more. And look, I get it. I get it. But it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it all right. Okay, look, look. Hebrews 13.4, this is what the author says. This is God saying, marriage should be honored by all. Well, if you're honoring marriage, you're honoring this, the marriage bed. And the marriage bed kept pure. Why? Because God judges God judges the adulterer, but don't just pin it all on the adulterer. God judges the sexually immoral, the junk drawer word for morality. Sex outside of marriage. Sex um, with people that aren't your spouse. I guess that would be the same thing. Pornography. Visual pornography. Mental, emotional pornography. Yes, Fifty Shades of Grey counts. Listen, we think I'm being funny. I'm not being funny, right? We've been discipled. Tolerance, tolerance, self-deception. Look, I mean, what? it makes me cringe for my girls. I mean, I mean, I mean we've got to write things on your butt so everybody knows that your butt is juicy. By the way, how is that a good thing? I don't understand how that's ever supposed to be a good thing. Right? But, but we teach them this, that, that you, can, you can dress sexier and skimpier 
and that it's good, and we tolerate, and we tolerate, and we tolerate. And, you know, we take our girls to go shopping for clothes. And, you know, if you don't want to see a belly button, then you've got problems. It's a cultural issue. But God says, no, 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 it's not okay. We judge the sexually immoral. That's what he says. He judges the sexually immoral. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to shut down the legal defense team that is working overtime in your brain right now. Let's just be honest. There are some of you here that are actively sinning sexually, and you know you are actively sinning sexually, and you have got a legal defense team that is working overtime to get you off the hook, to prove that you are the exception to the rule, that God didn't have you in mind when he said this. And so we give ourselves all of these outs, the self-deception, right? I'm married in God's eyes. Ask him about it. See what he says. We're married in our hearts. It's just sex. It doesn't hurt anybody else. The wedding date is planned. It's just a little pornography. It doesn't matter. My wife doesn't even know it can't hurt her feelings. It's just a little erotica. It's no big deal. Listen, you shut down the legal defense team that is working overtime in your head because it's wrong and it's sin and you know it. You are not the exception. You know how I know? Because there is no exception to holiness. There is no exception to holiness. And you can either pursue holiness or you can refuse God. But you cannot do both. Stop lying to yourself. You cannot do both. And so let's get into this practical application. What do I do? Well, I'm going to start just by saying this one thing quickly. We're, we're almost done. But, but here's the deal. You don't have to sin. If you are a Christian here today, whether it's about sex or any other thing, you do not have to sin. You are not obligated to sin. You are not rooted in sin. You are not stuck in sin. And as a Christian, there is no temptation that's overtaken you except that which is common to man. You are not dealing with anything new right? We're like, oh, it's this oversexed, over... I mean, come on, you used to worship. Back here, Old Testament times, still some countries, some cultures in the world, the way you worship God is by going and getting involved in an orgy. It is not harder for you than it's ever been harder for other people. It's just not. But there is nothing that you can't stand up against. It says God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I can't stand up to it, Matt. It's too much. It's too hard. I'd have to change my whole lifestyle. I'd have to change everything. I'd have to find a new place to live, right? I might have to lose a boyfriend or a fiance. I might have to stop having a computer in my house. I might have to go back to a no internet flip phone. It's too hard. Listen to me, there is nothing that gets you that is not common to man, and there is nothing that you can't stand up under because of the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are looking to grow in your relationship with Jesus, if you are looking to take your discipleship seriously, then as a Christian, 
You can. It will not be easy, but you can. So let's look at this. Last slide here, a couple of things. Okay, here's what we do. First of all, make sure that you're a Christian. Sounds trite, I don't mean it to sound trite. Make sure that you're a Christian. You know, I think um, I've told you this before. It's one of my greatest fears. It's something that oftentimes will keep me awake at night. No joke, okay? I don't sleep well. You can pray for me. I wake up, the mind starts, I can't shut it down. One of the things that I often wrestle with is that there are people that are here week in, week out. Maybe even people that are involved in some of our Bible studies or small groups people that have shown up consistently, people that have been dedicated, people that, the whole nine yards, that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's one of the things that wrecks me, is thinking that there are people that are confused. But listen to me. First thing you got, if you're going to stand up in the face of sin, you, you are not going to do it in your own power, right? Willpower is great. I love willpower, Right? In all 12 minutes that it lasts. Like it's a, but it's an epic 12 minutes. Right? Like, oh, I feel so good in those 12 minutes. Actually, I feel so good for like three of those 12 minutes. And like, then the other nine, it's a straight downhill. Okay. Willpower will only get you so far. You need Holy Spirit power. So you got to be a Christian. When you're a Christian, you live in the power of the... By the way, in case you're confused about what it means to be a Christian, it means only that you have surrendered to Jesus Christ, that you are trusting him for your eternal salvation, not anything that you've ever done, not anything that you can do. You are just trusting him because you can't do anything. You can't earn it. You're trusting him. But then you're following him. And you know what that means? That means you make a resolution with the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raises Jesus from the grave lives in you when you are a Christian, and it is that power that allows you to pursue holiness, purity, to cut sin out of your life. You got to live as a new person with a new mind, because as a Christian, you are a new person. You're not the same person that you were before. Remember what Paul said way back when we were looking at 1 Thessalonians? He said, not, don't follow lustful passion the way the pagans do. They don't know God. You know God. You're a new person. 1 Corinthians 5.17, my favorite, tattooed on my arm. It is what it is. You, as a Christian, are a new creation. Your old life is gone. Your new life has come. You are a new person with a new mind. Act like it. Be who you are. Stop pretending to be who you used to be. Grow up. You ever... Apologize to my kids, but... You ever just look at your kids and you're pulling your hands, just grow up already. Like, like I want them to go from here to here and I just want them to get there. Like, but you'll never get there when you keep doing the same dumb things over and over again. So, oh. Guys, we got to grow up. 
got to stop fighting this. We've got to grow up. We've got to live as new people with our new mind. We've got to be who we are. And we've got to put sexual sin to death. Look at this. Colossians 3, 5 through 8 says, put sin to death. Ruthlessly. Not politely. Not in a long, drawn-out thing. Look, every once in a while, we have cake at our house. Trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. Every once in a while, we have cake at our house. Or on a really good day, it's a pie. I like pie. And the pie and I have a dance. Because I only want to nibble. Right? Just a little bit. But then the next commercial, I actually have this dialogue with myself. I wonder if there's still pie. <laughs> Turns out there is. So I'll just have a little more, just a little, just a little more. I play with it. If I was treating that pie like it was sin, or a different kind of sin, this analogy is going to fall apart quickly. <laughs> like, I get that. It was not well thought out. But I would put it to death quickly. Grab a fork, grab the tin, and just get rid of it. That's a terrible analogy. I'm going to work on it, and I'm going to get back to you next week. But stop flirting with it. Stop doing it. No, no, no. Like, rip the Band-Aid off. It says, put sin to death. We read, uh, we read in, in James where it's like that we flee from sin. Flee from it. You see it. You literally turn around and run the other way. But Matt, what if it costs me the love of my life? It won't. Because the love of your life will never leave you because you refuse to engage in sin. The love of your life is Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, who died for you so that you could run away from sin. I get, I mean, I get it. I'm not trying to act like it's easy, like, like oh, it's no big deal, like, like you should be able to make this decision in a heartbeat. No, I get it. I know it's hard. But it's clear. Make no provision for the flesh. Live in light. This is what accountability is about. Right? Don't hide things. Sin happens in the dark. Stop pretending. Get your accountability software and let somebody else see what sites you visited. Tell somebody the truth about your life. Share with somebody what you struggle with. Stop having really good female friends, guys. Ladies, get rid of the work husband. It's tragic and it's sinful. It's not good. Make no provision for the flesh. And run to Jesus. Let me give you this one. Last thing, ask the praise team to come up. Prayer to close this. Here's what Hebrews says. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Get that. Jesus, your sexual temptation, I know we hate to think of this. Jesus dealt with sexual temptation. Jesus was fully human. It's called the doctrine of the hypostatic union. Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And as a full man, Jesus went through puberty, 
Jesus had sexual drives and desires that God placed in his heart in the garden just like everybody else. Jesus knows what it is to be sexually tempted. Hebrews says he was tempted in every way. He understands our weaknesses because he was tempted the same way we are, yet he held up in the face of sin, so we get to go boldly to the throne room of our gracious God because of Jesus. Look, you have a high priest who is not unaware of your sin. He's not unaware of your predicament. If you've jacked this up like I have, listen, I'm not better than anybody else in this whole discussion. We can have a long conversation about the ways that I've messed things up. But listen to me. If you've messed it up, you have a high priest that you can run to. But may I suggest that it's a dangerous game to let yourself mess it up so that you can run to the high priest and ask for forgiveness. See, that's what far too many of us like to do. We sin knowing that it's sin so that we can ask Jesus to forgive us of our sin because he's a good and gracious God. (laughs) That is a terribly dangerous game. Instead of asking God to forgive you for what you knew was wrong, maybe you should be asking God to change your heart so that you're not doing what you know is wrong. We're going to sing this song. It's all about surrender. That's all it is. It's I surrender. I want to know you more. God, I'm doing this again. And and if you're like me, when you were stuck in sexual sin um, and, and you had good and godly people telling you that it's wrong, shout out to Byron Hand. Love that dude. Because he looked at Carrie and I and he said, you guys are doing it wrong. No, I won't marry you. No, I won't do that because you're living together and you're engaged sexually and it's sin and you can't tell me you're a Christian and tell me that you want a Christian wedding and tell me that you want all this, but that you're still willing to say, God, I don't care. Thanks, Byron. He listens occasionally. Former pastor, he's in Canada, whatever. Um, But if you're like us at that time or like me, there were so many times that I would say to God, okay, I surrender. God, let's have it your way. And then I would just go right back to engage in the same things that I'd always engaged in. We sing this song, though. This is, this is a call to be better. Would you stand and sing? And, and, and not just sing, but mean it. I surrender to know you more. I want to know you more. Father God, it is that simple. We're either surrendered or we're not. But you don't ask for half of our heart because you're not offering us half salvation. But you are saying, I will take the old man and I will put the old man to death and I will make a new man in its place. And Father, for us to live that, we, we, we just have to surrender. So Father, I pray that you'll convict us where we need to be convicted, that you'll encourage us where we need encouragement, that you'll put people in front of us to hold us accountable where that's necessary, but that God, I pray that you will have your way in all of us. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.